The U.N. outlawed genocide in 1948, and the United States launched a war on terror in 2001. Yet, neither genocide nor terrorism shows any sign of abating. So, what went wrong? With Insight, we are joined by Hank Kopel, former U.S. federal prosecutor and author of War on Hate. Good morning to you, Mr. Kopel. Good morning, Andy, and thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for being here. Well, when we look at the latest conflict in the world, obviously all eyes on Ukraine and the atrocities being committed in Ukraine. Could we have predicted or even prevented this tragic loss of life? It's the million-dollar question, Andy. You know, according to the model of uh, analysis and prediction I tried to develop in the book, I can't say that we could have predicted when Russia was going to make its move on Ukraine. But what was very clear and is consistent with what my research shows, look at the Russian media in the years running up to this event, probably at least since 2014, when Russia's prior invasion took the uh, uh, Crimean Peninsula and the Sevastopol Navy base. Russia's media has been filled with false propaganda about how Ukraine is a non-entity, claiming Ukraine isn't a country. That's a big lie. Those Ukrainians stole our patrimony, our land, our breadbasket, and, you know, we got to stop that. That is, it turns out, the universal pattern before any of these mass atrocities, including mass terror campaigns, genocides, and similar acts. Wherever you look in the history, you'll see time and time again, the population sought to be targeted would be the subject of a massive propaganda hate campaign, which it turns out, and I have a whole chapter on the psychological dynamics of this, you know, people other than a very small number of sociopaths are not happy at all, are not willing to go out and engage in mass killing. It's just against our inbred nature, unless and until it's been highly activated and triggered by the convincing of people that those people are an existential threat to you, your family, your livelihood, and all that matters. Yeah, so, I mean, is, can we kind of look through history then? You, you say there are multiple examples where horrific outbreaks of violence, and you can sort of see where the people who have been the, the victims of it are, have been belittled, demeaned, or, or really made to look like they're unimportant in this world. That's exactly right. So it's... Uh, I even go back to sources talking about the, the terrible wars of religion in Europe at the time of the Reformation and after. And there, China and the Taiping Rebellion of the 1860s, where um, more than 20 million people died, even in that time. You see, time and time again, the critical ingredient is the us versus them dynamic. And the us versus them dynamic is presented in an existential. Like, there's no middle ground. There's no room for both of us. You're either on the good children of light on our side or you're part of the children of darkness on the other side. And you see this propaganda. What's happened since the mid-20th century with Hitler's Holocaust is, of course, the advent of mass communications, electronic technology, which didn't exist as much before then. And, you know, the evil genius of Hitler and his, and his regime was to use that. Uh, Nazi Germany in 1933, there are many scholars who think they weren't ready. The people weren't ready to go out and commit the mass killing that resulted in the Holocaust seven years later. They had to be conditioned. They had to have their civilized impulses sanded off and worn away by this constant deluge of hate propaganda. Then fast forward to now. Look at 9-11. Look at the failure of the Oslo peace process from 1993. Look at Russia before it invaded uh, recently. Again and again and again, the hate propaganda conditioned their people to do those evil things that ordinary people otherwise don't do. 
I'm wondering, Hank, is is part of the issue when we talk about the war on hate and and terrorism, the issue that this isn't the old school battlefield where you'd see somebody in uniform, that a lot of these things can be started in computer, uh, on a computer rather, and in covert. Is that part of the issue of the underground nature of these things we're trying to put the kibosh on? Well, you certainly raise that important issue that, um, as some scholars of uh, present military tactics call it, we're now in the land of shadow wars, gray zones, where what's going on between, say, the U.S. and China in many ways and the U.S. and Russia, a lot of that's we've been in a shadow war for a long time. Um, you know, you can see also in the PRC, the People's Republic of China propaganda, their media is fiercely anti-American. Um, every all the worst and most malicious interpretations of what happened after the horrible George Floyd killing are all over the Chinese media. That America is a racist country, we're an evil country, we're a hateful country, and that we're a threat to China. Um, and this stuff does travel very much in cyberspace. Give you one example: there's a guy named Gabriel Weidman over in Israel who's a scholar of terror on the terrorism incited on the media. In the 1990s, he said, I don't know, there were a few dozen websites used by terrorist groups to promote, recruit, and train, and and obtain people to do their acts. By the early 2000s, there were more than 10,000 terrorism websites, you know, Hamas, Hezbollah, ISIS, etc. It's a huge recruiting and indoctrination ground and a real problem we have to deal with. How do we deal with something like that, Hank? How do you deal with, I mean, the the Internet is everywhere. It's pretty hard once something is up to take it down. There's also the dark web. I'm sure these people are on board there. How do you fight something like this? Yeah, it is another one of those $64,000 questions. And I can't claim to know know all by any means because we're all in new territory here. But what I do say in the last chapter of the book is, as always with these large, complex problems, there's no one magic solution. It's a multi-level, multifaceted approach. The first thing I say we got to do is in the age of big data analytics, we should and can do, we need to map this stuff. Um, to be honest, I was a little surprised to learn when I was reviewing the United States Holocaust Museum's website and their efforts on genocide prediction and prevention. Sadly, they got a lot of good factors in there for how to predict it. Mass media hate propaganda was not among the factors. Um, I think that has to be front and center in our predictive apparatus. But we should be mapping this stuff so we can point out, here are the hotspots around the world. Here's where the media is cranking up, the state-run media. They probably are planning some very dangerous, violent acts, as evidenced by the media. Then we can use counter-information. There are lots of people in and around these places who, as we see even in Russia now, totally oppose the government's malign efforts to do these things. We should be supporting these people just like we did in the Cold War, uh, which, which the West and freedom eventually won. And then we should be using our leverage, fortunately, because of America's economic power. We have the power to selectively use sanctions to say to these regimes through the state-controlled media. Like, for instance, we said to Saudi Arabia in the last administration, you want our F-16s to protect your country? Here's the deal. Take that junk off your media, your state-controlled media that's inciting people to get on airplanes, hijack them with box cutters, and slam them into the World Trade Center. That's what you got to do if you want our help. There are a lot of things we can do. Hank, thank you so much for your insight and your time this morning. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much, and all good wishes. Thank you as well. That is Hank Coppell, an author and former U.S. federal prosecutor. His book is called War on Hate, How to Stop Genocide, Fight Terrorism, and Defend Freedom.